Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts, here with my co-hosts for Open Heart Conversations, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman and Reverend Rob Way. On today's episode, we will explore one of the world's oldest and continually practiced religions, Jainism, with Natim Ajmera. Thank you for joining us. Natim, tell us, what brought you to the Jain faith? Um, I was born in the Jain faith. Uh, my parents are Jains. My grandparents are Jains. And... Um, so that's how I was introduced to the philosophy of Jain religion. Um, my, uh, the, in, in Jain houses, the first words that are taught to a child is our Namokar Mantra, which is the pair for the five uh, revered souls. And um, only then we learn other things. Obviously, that's where we come from. Uh, and for me, I... My earliest childhood memories are with my grandmother on a train ride from my um, pilgrimage back to my home in Delhi. And um, I remember her teaching me the names of the 24 Tirthankars. And I, I have reflected a lot. If there is any other memory that takes me even further back, and it does not. So I do believe that learning the 24 Tirthankars' names was my first insight into Jain philosophy and Jain theories. Um, isn't it true that Jainism is one of the world's oldest enduring spiritual traditions? Absolutely. Um, for Jains, um, there is a continuum of time. Um, and since there is no creator and no destroyer, like the, the time always remains. And there are these time cycles that go up and down where the faith is established, destroyed, then established again, destroyed. So in that process, Jainism continues to remain and survive because it is the religion of the soul and the religion of the soul will never die because it is the religion of what we are. And hence, Jainism is one of the oldest and a religion that was existing and will exist in future too, no matter what. Wow. So was the Jain philosophy affected by the development of other faiths, such as Hinduism or Buddhism, or is it true that it's the other way around? I think so, Robert, it's the other way around. Um, Jainism is um, the philosophy that existed prior to these faiths. Um, and if we all uh, know, Buddha himself was a disciple of the Jain monks, and then he found his way to his enlightenment, enlightenment. And if you read various Vedas and Upanishads, 
They referred the 24 Tirthankars in various forms and pray to them. Um, so they, and they ag- agree on the existence of those things pr- prior to some of the Hindu faiths and everything. So Jainism existed before. And for me, not only in this religions from India where Jainism has an impact, I personally believe that Jainism has an impact on all religions of the world because there is a common thread that goes through all our lives. And through those common threads, I always see Jainism manifesting itself in other traditions and thoughts and beliefs too. Mm. So Jainism actually acts as a foundation for many of the world's spiritual traditions. I think so. That is the true with every faith that they believe that they are the center of the universe of everything. So Jainism also believes that, that we are the center point of all religious faiths and every faith has come from us. Interesting. Nitin, um, it is said that uh, Jain wisdom was revealed by 24 great spiritual leaders, which you've mentioned, the Tiktankas. Can you tell us a little bit about who these, uh, who these people were? Sure. So the Tiktankas are common men and women like us, right? So Jains believe through our meditation, penance, and reflecting on our soul as a separate from this world and believing in the purity and calmness of that soul, we would be able to break away from the cycle of life and death. And as we break away from the cycle of light and death, we get into enlightenment and get nirvana. In this process, when the soul gets to a point of cable gyan, where he gets all knowledge given to him, where he he can see the past, the present, the future of all life forms and everything. There is a po- There are these 24 Tirthankas that then explain to the rest of us what this is all about and what we need to do, what we need to follow to attain nirvana ourselves. Those 24 men are called Tirthankars and they established the dharma, the Jain religion, the faith at that point. And the process to get to the point of Siddhachila or Nirvana, and hence they are called Tirthankars. There were 24 of them in this lifetime or life cycle. There will be 24 in future. There were 24 in the past. And it's not like it's just 72. It will be forever in the past. You can go. There were these 24 every life cycle. And in in numerous future times, there will be these 24 in future too. So current 24 is what we rever, we pray, we find their temples, and we worship them as they showed us a path to moksha. So in the Jain tradition, is there a concept of God or the divine? God, the creator, doesn't exist in Jainism. We are the first atheists of the world. We do not believe in God as the creator. God as a perfect soul, God as a person who has shed all his karmas, God as a person who is in this state of constant bliss, lives in Siddhashila and is energized with the positivity of the soul, that perfect soul, that perfect God, yes, we do believe in him, we revert to him, we want to be like him and we can become like him, hence We do not believe that God is outside of us, that some third entity, 
It is within us. That's why Jains also start with saying Jai Janendra, which basically is praying to the Lord in you because one day you can become that Jinnah. So we pray to the Jinnah in you and we bow down to the Jinnah in you because one day you can become God yourself. And I pray to that God that is within you. Wow. Okay. So in Jain philosophy, what is the purpose of life? And and do people have souls? Absolutely. Life is nothing but the soul. Everything that is not the soul is what we call samsar or this earth, this being. Our body is not ours too. We will leave this body and the soul will move away. So the Jain philosophy of life is that it is given, right? It will exist. You are in this mundane existence of life and death and life and death. You will feel the pleasure, the pains. You will have emotions. You will get angry at people. You would be uh, annoyed. You would love somebody. All these feelings and everything will create you to always have bondage of karmas and you're carrying this bondage of karmas from one life form to another. They will fruit themselves in different shapes and forms. Good karmas will give you good times. Bad karmas will give you bad times. And there is this constant cycle of this. And Jainism in its philosophy says to break away from that continuum of life and death and life and death and break away from it and get to nirvana or moksha, where you're in constant bliss, constant happiness. You don't have pleasure and pains and you live there for life and you became a supreme soul. And that is the purpose of life, that you get to that supreme soul status because everything else is momentary. You may enjoy a moment right now. You may like your first piece of chocolate when you get it. But if someone gives you and forces you to eat 100 pieces of chocolate, the 100 piece is like you want to throw up, right? So whatever is pleasure also turns into pain. And hence, there is nothing good about all this. It is all transitionary and you need to get out of this and get into a state of constant bliss. And that is moksha. So so what is samsara? Samsara is this existence of the soul in coordination with the other six, five dravyas, right? So soul is the jeev, right? That is the atman. That is the but that's the board that that's the thing that goes from one life to another. But this soul attaches itself to the ajeev, which is the particles around us, our table, chairs, our body, they're all ajeev, right? So jeev, ajeev. And then we live in a time that is this dharma, that is dharma is the the state of rest, the state of motion, the universe that we are in and time. And these are the other four substances. So total these six dravyas, as we call it, the soul, the non-soul particles, right? Which is all the physical world around us, the universe around us, the time around us, the forces of motion and the forces of rest. These are the six things that is the sansar for us, right? Take the other five out, And the pure soul is what you want to be at. And that is what you want to be. So shedding of the other five is shedding of the sansar, the shedding of the getting rid of the sansar that's around you. Wow. So help me understand what 
karma is. So karma for us, Jens, is these particles that are floating around around us, right? And the soul, with its thought, with its action, right, with its words, attracts these particles and attaches them to its itself. So right now we have this conversation going on. And during this conversation, we are all thinking about the soul and its existence, right? So all the good karma particles, right, are getting attached to our soul right now because we are talking about the Atman, the soul, right? The me that is going to live. And somewhere there is a thought process about, oh my God, if this, there is a way to break away from this, then what is that way of breaking out? So there's a positive thought that's going on and all this is attracting positive karmas and they're attaching to yourself. At the same time, one of us can be thinking, oh my God, how long will this last? Why why am I sitting here? I don't understand this. I don't believe in it. And that is the negative side of a thought process. And that negative side of a thought process is attracting the negative karma particles. And then the negative karma particles are getting attached to the soul. The positive and the negative karma particles then stay with the soul and they will remain with it and they get rid of it either automatically over time or by giving their fruit. So good karma particle will give you back, let's say, an increase in your salary in 100 years or in your next life form or make you a king in the next life form. So it fruits itself and then it gets go away. So the natural Fruitation process will also happen, but we believe in, we cannot live in this natural fruitation process. We need to take care of it on our own. And the way you take care of it on on your own is by sitting in meditation and thinking about the soul and thinking about all the bad you have done or would have done. You ask forgiveness from everybody that you would have done any harm to. And you ask for penance and you say, I was wrong. I did wrong. And as you reflect in that and you come back to yourself saying, I was wrong at that time. Now you're getting rid of these karmas, of these negative karmas. And in the pure state of the soul in the Siddhashala, Robert, it's not that you want all the good karmas only. You have to even get rid of the good karmas. So that stage is devoid of any karma, whether good or bad. So all the good karmas also have to be taken into and removed from your soul because you don't need them either. The soul in its pure state is devoid of all karmas, good or bad. Now, the good karmas make you feel good and they'll give you all the good things that you want in life. But one day you have to get rid of that too. And if you look at all our 24 Tirthankars, they were born all born in as kings. They were Chakravarti, some of them, right? Which means they were the king of the entire earth, right? And one fine day, if you look at the stories of what caused them to like leave everything, some of them just saw um, a, a dew drop on a leaf on their way out into the garden. And when they were coming back, that dew drop dried up. And they were like, if the dew drop dries up, this thing of beauty dries up, then will this last? Will this kingdom last for me? And they immediately renounce the world and go and take meditation and go into penance with themselves. And that's how it is that they think even the beauty will not last forever, right? 
So if the beauty will not last forever, if the good will not last forever, then why am I worrying, worried about and staying myself saying that this is the best? And that is what that theory of karma, right? Where even the good karmas have to go away and have to be shared is where we take a tangent off the karma theory of the Hinduism, right? And we move out of it and we like, uh-uh, I don't need that either. I don't want that either. So, so these, so karmas actually transcend our lifetimes and, and move with us until we clear them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And that's where um, I personally believe many times um, people think about when something is wrong, being done wrong to them or something good doesn't happen, right? The thought is always the victim story, right? Where we tell you did it or ah, I'm not doing this. He was bad to me and this happened and that happened. And we gents are now taught and always have been taught to think about the accountable theory. And the accountable theory may not have answers because you do not know if you did something wrong right now, but you could have done something wrong in previous lifetimes, right? That is coming to fruitation now, right? Mm. And, and the soul is in constant interaction with each other. So there are scriptures after scriptures of a religion where the two souls have met in previous lifetimes, right? And they have killed each other. So in one lifetime, one kills the other. In the other lifetime, the other person takes revenge. And that constant is going on. I have like stories which I can say with this constancy of this killing each other. And then finally, one fine lifetime, one person realizes, goes and asks our monks, why is this happening? Why did that person get killed? Or why am I wanting to kill him? And then he tells him the story of the previous lifetimes. And he's like, oh my God, I don't want to do this. And he asks forgiveness from that soul and he moves on, right? When, when those stories are told to us, it creates the feeling of an accountable story in our lives. And whenever something happens to me personally, right, or has happened to us in our families, we always are taught to say, okay, we must have done something wrong. And it's coming to fruitation. Let it go. And sometimes when we slip and fall and everybody, like the common theory is like, oh, only you just slipped and fell and nothing happened. Nothing more happened. Think what worse could have happened, right? So when you think about what are the possibilities of the worst, whatever is happening, you take it in a stride and you say, yeah, okay, that's it. Let's go on. Let's move on. So that not reflecting and like mulling over our issues is some of the facts that like we have been, like it's difficult to adapt, like get it into a normal course of your life because we are some sorry Jeeves. So we are also having all emotions of love, hatred, jealousy, anger, ego, pride and everything. But we have been taught many times to reflect and say, okay, it's happening because I must have done something and let's move on. So I'm going to have to have a serious conversation with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so what is meant by the, the path of liberation, uh, the moksha murg in Jainism? And I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. Uh, moksha marg, right? Marg means the path, as you said. Moksha means the place of this, the position where the soul is, has infinite powers, is happy, is blissful, and um, uh, it, it is devoid of any pleasure, pain, and, and lives in serenity forever and ever and ever. 
never takes birth again, never dies, is doesn't worry about you and me. Like our, we say our gods don't give us anything. They left everything. So why would they give us anything, right? And Mokshmarg is basically the path to get there. How does a soul get there? And in that process, the soul has to understand, believe, first of all, right? It starts with the Samyak Darshan, right? And Samyak Gyan and Samyak Charitra. These are the three tenets of Jain, Jain philosophy. Samyak Darshan is that I believe in it. I believe that this is the path, right? I have to get there. And, and, and if I don't believe that this is what I have to be or I have to get to a position of Nirvana, forget it. I will never follow on the path if I don't believe in it then I will have to have the knowledge of what it means to get there, right? That it's like in a normal exercise, you first plan what you have to do, then you think how you will do it, and then you do it, right? And this is what we say, the trinity in Jainism, Samyak Darshan is the understanding, the perception of knowing it. Samyak Gyan is the knowledge how to do it. And then Samyak Charitra, Charitra is you actually doing it. And in that process, you believe with the five paths, like the five things that we don't do, which is being a non-violent. We don't steal, right? We would not non-chastity, non-possessiveness, right? And, um, and, um, and not say the lies, right? So these are the five things. So they start with that. Now, if many times we gens believe that taking the vow to just follow these five things of being nonviolent, not steal, not tell a lie, remain in chastity and, uh, and non-possessiveness, it will immediately control all your emotions, right? Simple thing like saying, I'm not going to be, I won't lie, right? Many philosophies in the world have talked about truth as a basic, right? Even Christianity strongly believes truth will make you free, right? Truth will make you free. And why? And the moment you take that vow that I will not tell a lie and only say the truth, there are so many moments, right? Where you'll realize, I can't do this. I can't say this. I will not be a party to this issue. And and you start thinking the right and the wrong in the right way. And immediately your karma bondage stops, right? So I generally say if if I can follow the five uh, basic, not doing the five paps, as we call it, or the five infirmities, I'm on my path of moksha. I've started, right? I may not get it in this lifetime because what I've done in the past, I have to carry that baggage and that I don't know how that will fruit itself when it will come into fruitation, right? And how intense it is, right? I believe today I'm a very righteous person. I believe in God and I pray and I do this and I do that. But in the past lifetimes, what if I have killed somebody with full venom in me? And right, one thing is you step on an ant and you kill an ant unknowingly as you're walking, right? Even for forgiveness from that soul, philosophy. And one is that you take pride in saying, I'm going to kill this. And then you showcase that one of our um, stories about is about a king who goes and kills a lion. Not only he kills the lion, he wants to bring back the dead lion with his head. And then he puts that lion in the 
in under his throne so he can put his foot on it and show to the entire world that he killed this lion the the negativity negative sentiments and that he got from all that took him to create bondage of karmas that would take him to the seventh hell which is lifetimes and lifetimes of pain right then he sat into it with bhagwan mahavir our 24th tirthankar and bhagwan mahavir told him about his life that this is what you have done and this is what you have done he repented he cried he felt sorry for the soul of the lion he asked for forgiveness from that soul of the lion and his karmic bondage of seventh hell got reduced to one first hell only right and he is supposed to be going to be a first tirthankar in the next time frame so you can get negative karmas you can get a bondage of bad karmas but if you reflect inside and you feel sorry and you feel that you did something that should not have been done and you ask for forgiveness that's moving out of that vicious cycle as a tangent and when you come out of that tangent you can see things clearly and you can proceed to what we call the moksha mark which is the way to liberation the path to liberation because you want to get rid of this mundane cycle of life and death that is painful it's painful every life form is painful it will come with all its problems natin um it is my understanding that um the jain tradition is grounded very firmly grounded in some major um values i i'd, I'd like to explore these with you so i'm going to mention one by one and we'll work our way through them the first that everyone hears about is ahimsa the idea of non-violence can you speak to the importance of non-violence in the jain tradition non-violence is core to jain philosophy um i i would say the way it is described it is in it is it has so many shapes and forms and um first of all it begins with not doing any harm to any living being any living being right now living beings are not just humans they are animals they are even ants and caterpillars right and then not only that we have living beings in plant life right we were the first to say plants are living beings obviously science only discovered plants as living beings less than about 100 years ago but we always believe plants are living beings and similarly we believe fire air water are also living beings we will return in a minute with natin ashmira thank you for listening All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to our open heart conversation on Jainism. And similarly we believe fire air water are also living beings right so even harming them is not allowed 
by thought, by action, and by speech, right? So you don't even think of harming and saying, okay, you know what? I have to, I'll make sure that I hit that man tomorrow when I see him or because he was bad to me yesterday. The thought itself is, doesn't need to come. You don't talk about it. So you don't yell and shout and you don't harm anybody's feelings because of that. And by action, you have, obviously you don't do it. And then we multiply these three things into krit karit anumodna. Krit means to do it yourself, right? Karit means to get it done by somebody else. And anumodna means to support somebody else who is doing it, right? So if I do violence against living beings by mind, body, speech, by doing it myself, getting it done by someone or by, uh, uh, by supporting somebody who's doing it, I am doing ahimsa. And the opposite of that is ahimsa. It is that deep in our philosophy, right? And obviously Jainism was one of the core um, influencers for Gandhi, right? Um, and Gandhiji adopted Jainism and its philosophies. And he talked about nonviolent in a more practical approach, right? To everything. He is the one person who said, okay, so many people got killed in the Chori Chora incident and at a, at a police station. He stopped his entire movement overnight. He said, it is going to be a nonviolent movement. I would get freedom. I want freedom, not. Not one soul should be hurt. So if at that night the mob accidentally burnt up the whole train station, uh, 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 the police station, and men were constables got killed, he stopped right there. Right? That is the philosophy of nonviolence in Jainism. It is deep rooted in even fighting for your cause. You cannot think about harming somebody else. You cannot. Another uh, one of these values, and, and I may be mispronouncing this, I believe it is anakantavada, the, the, the value of many-sidedness. Can you speak to that? This is the one that I love the most because it provides a medium for all of us to engage in a dialogue. There are perspectives, right? Every one of us is seeing the same elephant in different ways. It's a story of the blind men and the elephant. Someone sees it as a rope. Someone sees it as a big pillar. Someone sees it as a swing. Someone sees it part of, as a fan because they're touching different parts of the elephant. Only when the blindfold is removed and they see the entire elephant, they realize this is an elephant and not its parts of the body. And that is anikantwad. There are multiple paths to the truth. And that truth is then to be evaluated in its right perspective. Once all the perspectives are brought together and looked into and evaluated and understood, and no one is right. No one is wrong either. Right? Because from a limited knowledge and a limited perspective and a limited experience, that's what we are experiencing. And that's what we are doing. And that's where I personally believe the concept of Anikantwad has been used in various management philosophies in, in, a very uptight, in, in a very upright and existing concept of having a discussion, talking about it and saying to each other what, like, 
I personally always like when I am talking to people and I feel annoyed or like I tell those people, my experience of you is this. And why am I getting that experience? Why am I feeling this way? And then the other person is immediately not reacting because I didn't say, hey, you're bad to me. I say, my experience is you're not being fair to me. And then they are like, why do you get that feeling? Why do you believe that? way?" And then I say, you said this and you did that and you, so I'm experiencing that you are not being fair to me. And that has led to a dialogue and resolve the issues rather than I believe in my truth and my truth is that you're bad to me and I argue and I carry that baggage. And so Anikanthwad for me is that understanding of those multiple viewpoints to arrive at the right truth, right? Whatever that truth is. And that that's, is, cool. that's is cool. so interesting because it, it, in modern day society was so into internalizing that thought of this person's not good to me. This person's mean to me without an expression of my experience of you is this to initiate that dialogue. We don't even get to the dialogue. We hold the thought. And we carry that baggage. We carry it with us for life. We like, let's say two brothers, right? There is an issue that happened, right? Something happened. They meet, they talk, and then whenever there's an argument, all that past comes out and Mm -hmm. it is never buried. It is never let go, right? Like the song let go is so gen in its philosophy. You need to let go. You need to just say, ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. My, I may have come across this way. I ask for forgiveness and you move on. And having that perspective, having that understanding, having that path to the truth and sitting down and having that dialogue, right? I have had my colleagues in my office and my friends that I've engaged to have those dialogues with their parents, with their brothers, with their sisters. I'm like, you have a party every year, you meet every year, and you always despise having your cousin home because you don't want him. So why don't you sit down and have a dialogue with them and say, hey, Four Christmases ago or nine Christmas ago, you did this to me and I'm carrying that baggage and I want to get rid of this baggage this time, right? And that is core to Jain philosophy of getting those perspectives to meet at a point where the real truth is known, right? And then sometimes I, I always say, we're always angry with our parents. Deep down, we're always like, my dad didn't do this and my mom didn't do this and they did this and they could have this. And I tell those people, guys, There is not a book out there in the world that teaches you to be a perfect father, right? We don't have like any experiment to run through to become a good father. So you are our experiments. We try to do our best and those best may not be good for you. So talk it out rather than holding that grudge because your dad tried to do the best in his perspective, in his way, he was doing the best. Whatever that was, maybe it was getting pizza on your table every day and not getting authentic foods from around the world. But he was trying to make ends meet to get pizza on the table every night and respect that and tell him that, right? That I found that to be strange, but today I feel why you did it. And it's 
it's it starts with the personal life to be very honest the way anikantwad has been explained to the world it's always about global issues it's about global matters and countries fighting and religions fighting with each other and everyone talks about jainisms anikantwad there i take it deep down to your family unit to your brothers and sisters to your parents and do you fix the issues there first because they are one of the biggest reasons to carry forward your life and 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 that sansar will continue if you don't forgive your parents or your brothers and sisters it has to be it has to start there to understand their perspectives so you can better better be reflective on their effort and not be judgmental about their efforts so natin we we've explored two of the, the great um values in the jain faith uh one nonviolence the other one many sidedness there's also a third um which is non-attachment or i believe it's uh, prana- stated as uh, a parigraha or something of, of that nature can you speak to that value in the jain faith absolutely non-attachment is where it will all begin because if we are attached we will never let go and if you'll never let go you will never be able to forgive somebody you will never be able to enjoy the other soul because you will be attached and 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 that non attachment right aparigraha is important in various forms it's it's in relationship obviously right because that is how the forgiveness side will work the 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 true nature of being you as you and not being attached to everybody is important but aparigraha is also the material detachment right so having a bigger house having a bigger car having a bigger backyard bigger boat how many how many chocolates would you need right to be happy so and and then i personally believe that that aparigraha the a non attachment would be our solution to our biggest problem that we have right now which is climate action right if we can stop saying that we need more right and i i personally say to people take the refrigerator of your house and throw it out right because the moment you take the refrigerator out and throw it away you will only get enough to eat for a day or two because you will know it will get spoiled otherwise and the moment you do that you will stop cons- buying and spending on things that you don't need right this refrigerator has created our thing to say okay let me just buy it and put it in the house right i i teach economics at drexel university right and when i look at this from a cost of manufacturing sometimes i look at these 5 dollar t-shirts and 10 dollar t-shirts and i'm like the cost of the land putting seed into it fertilizers growing the plant taking cotton out thawing the cotton putting it into a yarn taking that yarn putting it into a cloth taking that cloth cutting it and stitching it taking that and putting buttons on it putting it in a box making it somewhere in another part of the world bringing it to new york taking it out of customs here putting it on a truck and putting it into a warehouse and then to a shop floor with lights and everything all that only cost 10 dollars mm. no way but yeah we have tried to say if we can produce more we can reduce our cost per head whether we want that more or not we don't know 
And now look at the amount of production increases that we have done, right? And the amount of carbon footage increase that has happened. Because do we really need a $5 t-shirt every day in our closets? I tell all my economic students in, and I tell them, this Christmas, be very careful what you're buying for your gifts. Because don't buy a gift for the heck of buying a gift that, oh, you're on my list. Who give you? Let buy a $10 t-shirt because I have to give you something. Don't. Separate your list out and say, this year I'm giving gift to these five and next year I'll give to other five and I'll give something that they use and there is worthy and value to it. When I went to the Parliament of World Religions in Melbourne, there was this guy who was create. there was this organic shirt that they were selling, right? That was produced in right way and with no carbon issues. And like 2009, it was a revolutionary thought at that time. Today, organic is everywhere in the world, right? And at that time, that shirt was priced at $65. Everyone would go to that booth. They all liked it. They all were like, wow, it's soft. It's nice. It's this. But the guy told me that he's not able to sell a lot of these because of the price point, because value will come at a cost, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. When I came to US in 1996, I went in that Christmas and I found a Levi jeans for $22. And I was like, wow, $22 for a Levi jeans. 2019, I went again and I found the same Levi jeans at $22 again. 24 years later, 23 years later, the cost of manufacturing has not changed anything. And that's where I feel economically, if we are not going to price things right, we will never create the real demand. Right now, this is all fake demand, right? Because you want to give this $5 to somebody t-shirt. So you, there's a need for this $5 t-shirt. And that creates this a It loses the a There is attachment. There is this like your closets after closets of your clothes that you don't use, right? And in this pandemic world of COVID, we have all realized our closets have not been used. And many of the shirts and t-shirts have not been worn because we have been sitting at home all the time. And let's reflect back on that and say, do I need it? I have a friend who says, if he buys one shirt in his, for his, in his closet, he has to make sure one shirt leaves the closet, mm-hmm. right? Now that is he has quantified and that's a Jain philosophy. He doesn't belong in Jain faith, but he does that. And that's where, when I say, Oh my God, this guy's following Jain philosophy. I am not attached. I need 10 t-shirts in my closet or 10 shirts in my closet. I'll only buy one if I can throw one out because I've used it enough and I've worn it enough. And that's a parikra. That's non-attachment. Uh, the last of, of the, um, of the values that I'd love to explore with you is abstinence. The fact that um, a kind of asceticism, the, the, the idea that some level of abstaining from, from physical pleasures um, is, is sort of acceptable or, 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 or desirable. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. Right. So if you follow the discussions we are having, right, where we are saying non-violent, right, then we talk about anekantva, then we talk about aparigra. As you do that, right, you get more and more internalized, you internalize the whole situation, you're getting more closer and closer to the soul. And as you get closer and closer to the soul, and you realize your own person, 
the abstinence from all worldly pleasures is key because now you have internalized it so much that you do not find pleasure in anything outside you do not find pleasure in all this attachment of the house and the refrigerators and the cars and these things and 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 yes this abstinence begins with physical right where you do not want to get involved in a sexual activity or of self or with other partners or anything and the idea is that that is also momentary and it is not going to be an like bliss forever right the moment may feel nice but post that moment and as life ages all this doesn't make any sense anymore right so why give it up when your body doesn't need it give it up willingly when you can give up and you should give up right and that's what abstinence from physical pleasures means but i have taken abstinence from everything around right i i i should things will happen right there is there is this constant reflection from others always on your success right people will come and tell you wow nathan thank you so much for doing this or nathan you're doing this this and this like when i was announced as the chair of the parliament i got so many like feedback from people and thank yous and and i can be i can live in that pleasure and i'll be like look what i did i got it i made it in life right i made it in the interfaith movement and i'm this and i'm that no i see it that it's a duty it's a responsibility that has been given to me and i pray every day lord help me execute this to your best satisfaction right that's what i want to be now i can take pleasure and enjoy it and announce it more to the world and do all that or i can feel connected to it from an internalization of my own soul that i did something why i got this and to be able to talk about in an interfaith movement with men and women who have spent a life at the parliament and i'm like one of the younger person in that team i feel so honored that i can't even tell you how much it comes to me and that's where i feel abstinence i feel not i don't want to be like oh i'm the first indian i'm the first jain look what i got it look i should announce it people should get me on newspapers people should interview me eh i'm like let me just do my work because if i do my work that's what i'm i've been made chair for i've not been made for chair for anything else but to do the work of the parliament and if i believe in it let me do it right it it's extraordinary i had never thought of this until this moment but it, what you just said has has made me really think that what all these values have in common is freedom it's letting go it's in in non nonviolence i let go of what i hate and what i fear in non attachment i let go of what i love or what i like or what i desire in many sidedness i let go of my opinions and my belief that i am completely right and everyone else is wrong and in asceticism i really let go of the the body in many ways of of the demands and and the possession of my body that all of these values are about letting go and experiencing a deep freedom am i correct absolutely absolutely jose that is the core in the end you want to get liberated you want to be in that moment like and and when you meditate and you get to that internal position 
I tell you, it is so blissful. Like not that I've gotten to that moment many times in my meditation, but in a while when I have, I get so happy. I feel like if the world were to end today and I were to die right now, who cares? Who cares? I am. I am what I am. Right. And I, I enjoy that moment. Right. And, and that for me as a Jain, right, we are, we need to live a life to die a death where we celebrate our life and death together. We welcome death. Right. So for me, the moments of meditation where I feel like if, if anything were to end, to, if everything were to end today, I'm still happy. I made it. I did it. I am. It gives me so much pleasure to get there at that point because I, freedom is a birthright. Mm. Right. One of the freedom fighter movements, uh, Bal Gangadhar Tilak said that uh, in our, one of his speeches but more than the birthright, it's the natural tendency of the soul, right? The soul is not bonded. It is bonded by its own karmas. In itself, soul is free. It's a free spirit that moves around. And we need to get to that free spirit, the true self, the true us. So what many people would, would see as being attaining a title or position um, of you know a feeling of grandeur or oh, dare I say ego within the, the Jain tradition would I be right in saying that's more of a it's a position of service absolutely absolutely mm. everything so such a different way to look at it and, and and if you can get rid of that ego Robert it, it, it makes it easier <laughs> it makes it easier oh, it, yeah. it, Many times when you're as a, I'm like a chief financial officer, right? So there are times when I'm like, when I'm saying, do it, right? It is me, right? But yeah. then I say, okay, why are you not seeing the way I'm seeing it? Mm. And then when people tell me how they are seeing it, right? And I don't have that ego that I'm the CFO, so you better do it the way I tell you. We create beautiful solutions, we yeah. create energy. They learn from me. I learn from them, right? And, and, and it's a beautiful medium because I'm not attached. And, and, and I say to everybody, there were CFOs before me. There will be CFOs after me for this company. I'm just a transitionary. And at this moment, it is my job, my duty to be a CFO. It is not my right, right? So let me do what I think the way I want to do it with your help. And you need to be representing my work. And together we will create. And honestly, there are moments in management circles where I believe that many times my teams have just given me so much learning that I would have never learned without applying these principles of Jainism in work life. Wow. Oh, to change the pillars of industry. It might be a much better place. Yes. So moving along. What are the major spiritual practices of Jainism? Is it prayer, meditation, fasting, charity? Yes. Um, so, um, if you look at it from a simplified perspective, right? If you can live a non-detached life where you do not carry your passions, egos, ethos, pathos before you, but they're always following you or they're within you, you're a Jain. From a concept perspective, 
the person who believes in himself or herself as a carrier of their own karmas is a jain now obviously through in a community in a society all this takes shapes of various traditions and forms and norms right the society always evolves itself into oh you should get up in the morning and the first thing you do get up is you do no karma mantra you should go to a temple you should pray to the lord you should sit in meditation for some time you should do donation every day because if you have anything to give you should give away right that day um you should do so many um, we have the rosary right so you should do the rosary beads so many every day so there, and then we have this concept of samayik where you for 48 minutes you need to sit with yourself in one position and not worry about anything if the if there's a phone call coming if there's a fire you need to stay in that row in that sitting position or standing position however you are for 48 minutes absolving of any outside attraction anything that distracts you anything that happens um and 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 the first time you do it you'll realize that within 5 minutes you're always like oh, what's going on i can do this but as you practice 48 minutes go by and then people there are people who i know who do three of those 48 48 48 three times at one shot right and they are undisturbed for those 48 minutes times three in their cycles and and they're just praying thinking about what they did in the past days ask for forgiveness seek forgiveness and then they sit down and they really meditate on the powers of their soul you've been listening to our series open heart conversations offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions recorded here at the united palace of spiritual arts please visit us in manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org until next time Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA+ Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org/imdivine2022. 